Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Podcast. My name is Seamus Murphy and today this podcast is going to look at how to stay safe when online. I'm joined today by Chloe McCulloch who is a business specialist at SAC Consulting and Alex Peary who is an agricultural consultant here at the Air Office. Chloe and Alex have recently ran an event on Aaron looking at cyber security. Alex, why did you decide to run this event? Technology is great um, and as systems improve and we get more and more linked together, it's increasingly important that, that our farmers are aware of methods to, to improve their digital farm security and, and to keep themselves safe online. Access to information is great, but there are real issues and real threats out there that we need to, to be aware of and, and mitigate against. Yeah, And this is a national series of events, Chloe. What was the, the driver behind these events? Well, we ran a series of bookkeeping events in 2018 and um, you may know that HMRC have brought in Making Tax Digital for VAT registered businesses and that means that these businesses are now having to use accounting software to keep their business records. That's normally cloud-based software so that information is stored on the cloud and the internet. And what we found was that farmers were generally really up for adopting this modern software and updating their bookkeeping systems, but their awareness of how to stay safe online was probably um, less developed. So um, it's quite a topical issue at the moment as lots of people move their bookkeeping online and as part of that they're taking up maybe internet banking online. We also hear with... Uh, alarming regularity about farmers falling foul of cyber crime uh, so that's also quite a topical subject at the moment so we looked at not just basic information about things like passwords but also about some of the most uh, common forms of cyber crime that farmers might come across. This is really important from my perspective because I think a lot of people are kind of expecting a, a silver bullet, a one-and-done solution to, to digital security. But the reality is, and, and one of the things that I took away from the meeting, is that there, there are a, a multitude of things that you can do to improve your, your overall security. I, I maybe didn't really appreciate the level of detail that can go into a password or, or the kind of level of scrutiny that I should be putting emails under that, that I'm reading and, and maybe interacting with. And I suppose some farmers might think that the big companies that they're dealing with, like their banks and their internet providers, will cover all the bases on this topic. But how important do you think it is for the actions people take locally? It's really important. So, I mean, visualise for a moment that you're going to buy something online from an online shop. If you imagine a chain, you're at one end of the chain, the shop's at the other end of the chain, and carrying out the transaction means that information is going back and forward along this chain. A hacker wants to intercept this information somewhere on the chain, and there are various points where that hacker could potentially get access. The relative security levels, though, at different bits of that chain are very different. So you would expect the online shop um, may have quite good security. Your internet service provider is likely to have good security, but the weak link in the chain is at your end. And they can have all the sophisticated systems in the world if you have got a really unsecure system, a really poor password or something else, then you can still be at risk. 
It's worth pointing out that a hacker isn't necessarily after a complete set of data. Even if they can get little bits of information, they can then trade these or pass these on over the internet to other cyber criminals who might have other little seemingly unimportant bits of data about you and ultimately build up, um, get enough pieces of the jigsaw to build up a picture of you. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the money that they're after, that the information in itself has a value, um, even if you don't think that uh, anyone could do much with that information on its own. They may be looking to sell it to someone who has different bits of information and, and like you say, Chloe, to, to build that picture and make it easier to exploit. So what can someone that's listening here now do to protect themselves? What's the easiest thing they can do? For me, it comes down to, to two major things. Uh, a password, which is simple enough for you to remember, but complex enough that, that it's difficult to hack. And to be able to incorporate some kind of, of two-factor authentication, which uh, before the meeting I didn't take much notice of. But in reality, it's a, a significant uh, way to, to increase your security. Just picking up on the passwords. Passwords have been with us since probably the beginning of the internet, or it feels like it. But I think that with lots of things that we have around us for long periods of time, we become a bit blasé about them and we maybe don't take them as seriously and give them the attention that they deserve. Password is still the most important form of security for individuals. If you do not have a robust password, you can be very vulnerable. Uh, What surprises people is that their supposedly unique password can actually be relatively common. And the National Cyber Security Agency publish a list of the top 100,000 passwords And it's really interesting to see the number of passwords on there, which I'm sure people would expect were really unique. And actually, they're incredibly common. That There are passwords at the top of the list, which we could all um, expect to see there. Password, one, two, three, four, things like that. Uh, But as you go down through the list, there are some really obscure looking passwords. uh, And I'm sure that users wouldn't imagine for a moment that their password was a common one or as vulnerable as, as they are. And why wouldn't you want your password to be on that one that list of 100,000 passwords? Because of the way that hackers can find your password. So hackers, one of the ways that they can find your password, there's lots of different ways. They can look over your shoulder if you're in a cafe, things like that. But one of the most common ways that they can hack your password is to use what they call brute force attack, where they use a very sophisticated computer to try out lots of different combinations of passwords. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of options per second. It used to be a lot slower than that, but as computers have developed, the speed at which they can guess a password now is incredible. So you want to have a really, really obscure password. If you've got something which is in that top 100,000, you're not relying on a person just not finding the time to go through 100,000 combinations. You're relying on a person with a computer not having perhaps a fraction of a second to try out that list of 100,000 passwords. And so is having just one password enough? No. If your password was to be guessed, uh, it could be used for other things. So it's really important that you change it regularly. We talked about the chain earlier. If at the end of the chain, perhaps the shop online that you bought something from, if their security wasn't very good and a hacker was able to access your information or access your password from that uh, shop, could they then use that password for other systems and other sources? So the safest way is to have a different, unique password for each site so that if one does get breached, it's not going to be used elsewhere and you haven't opened up all your systems. Yeah. 
one of the exercises that we actually did at the meeting, uh, and it, it was a kind of great example of this, um, we uh, we played hangman, and uh, one of the one of the words that uh, that we started off with um, in this instance, it was a, a conventional cattle breed, and uh, the group uh, and ourselves, we, we managed to, to guess this word relatively quickly. Um, on a second attempt, though. Uh, we were uh, we were dealing with another cattle breed, and uh, some of the letters uh, in this uh, in this word were uh, swapped out for for numbers. Uh, in this case, it was an apostrophe, um, and and the use of special characters. Uh, and you cannot imagine how much more difficult it was to kind of anticipate a password. Um, and this is the same kind of thing that you're looking to to do with uh, with passwords that you're you're using on your own system. Uh, needless to say, uh, we were all hung very quickly. <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of people listening to this saying, "This is it's, it's great. That's great. They know now that they need a more kind of complex password." But they'll also be thinking it's very, very difficult to remember these complicated passwords with all these numbers and letters. I, I suppose the simple answer is yes. Um, but if it's difficult for you to remember, it'll also be difficult for any potential hacker. I mean, you shouldn't be writing your password down um, like in a book. Um, so, so it can be a challenge, and I appreciate that. One way to get around this is to use three random words, which can give you a very long, uh, intricate password, which is difficult to guess, but which might make sense to you. Um, some people, for example, uh, might choose objects in the, the place of work or, or, or home. Uh, for example, you give something like photo, mug, pencil, or, or dog bed, mop, hovis. Uh, you know, it's, it's important not to be predictable, um, so absolutely no instances of my fluffy dog. <laughs> this is a good time to talk about password managers, which are a little bit of good news too. So these are inexpensive, simple to use, and pretty nifty bits of software actually, which will generate a secure random password for each site or account and it will remember it for you. So all you need to remember is your master password for the password manager. Uh, and then when you visit a website that needs a login, you don't have to type in a password, it will put it in for you. And some web browsers do this already, don't they? Most of them do, uh, Chrome, Firefox, Internet Explorer, but they store the information on your computer in an unencrypted form, whereas a password manager will encrypt that information so it's more secure than relying on your browser to do it for you. There are a number of different password managers available. Uh, Dashlane, LastPass and KeyPass are just three of them. Alex, you mentioned earlier 2FA or two-factor authentication. Could you explain a bit about that? Yeah, so two-factor authentication or or 2FA is the process by which you can can verify your login with another device or, or object. So in most cases, this could be receiving a text on your mobile and then inputting that text uh, message into your laptop um, or by using something like an authenticator app, um, like Google Authenticator, or or by having a a separate device um, such as card readers uh, that banks normally provide. Uh, The key here is that you combine knowing something uh, with having something. Most people don't realise that you can have 2FA on your Facebook account. You just have to look through the settings. And it's a feature of most accounting software. So, in fact, in Australia, all accountants have to use 2FA before they can access clients' um, information on any cloud. 
Now, it's not totally foolproof. Um, there have been cases recently where a bank relied on a form of 2FA where a passcode was texted to a customer's phone to verify a money transfer. The customer's phone account had been hacked and the criminals were therefore able to intercept the passcode and authorise the transfer of money. But this is relatively unusual because most banks nowadays use a different form of 2FA, so they're using a unique token or a wee keypad that you get that you put your bank card in. Uh, so it's it's far more robust than not having it, but it's not completely infallible. We've got more uh, information on 2FA on the FAS website. That's www.faz.scot. Brilliant. And what else did you cover then at the meeting? We looked at a number of different forms of cybercrime. Basically, cybercrime is any form of criminal activity which involves a computer. It doesn't uh, have to be just uh, computers that's hacked into. It can also be things like phishing. Okay, and tell me a bit more about phishing. There are a number of ways that cyber criminals can get hold of your information. So hacking into your computer, using computers to guess passwords, planting viruses in your computer, all of which require them to use some sort of technology. But a simpler and really common way to get your information is to persuade you to give it to them voluntarily. And that's what phishing is. Okay. Can you give me a good example then of an attempt at phishing? There are loads of different examples of phishing. So it could include a phone call. So, for example, somebody phones you purporting to be from your bank, asking you to move all your money to another account, uh, or it could involve an email. We've all had those very obviously nuisance emails asking us to respond immediately um, to some request for our details. But these can be really sophisticated and convincing, and it is easy to be caught out. Often there will be clues that the email is wrong, but you need to be looking really, really carefully at things like spelling and the grammar, any inconsistencies, or whether it's an unlikely scenario. You also need to be paying attention. So if you are doing something else at the same time as reading your emails, it's really easy to be caught out because you're you're more likely to click on a link or do something than you would do if you were giving it your undivided attention. Usually the emails will try to create a sense of urgency as well because psychologists would tell you that you're more likely to respond so they'll say do this immediately or else you'll lose access to a service or do something now to get some great reward yeah and what should you do if you do get a a call or an email that you're not sure about you're a bit suspicious about so if it's a call i i would be asking for for further information for clarification for details that you could reasonably expect them to have about you Um, but remember what we said earlier was that the criminals are out to get your information and, and they may already have bits of information that, that make a convincing case. So they may know more than you'd actually expect. Don't be afraid to end the call if you're uncomfortable uh, or unsure and call them back on a, a different number that you know from a different phone. If it's an email, you, you can check the address um, and, and any links by hovering over it and, and that should kind of... Um, show you uh, whether or not the the link is genuine and whether or not they're actually trying to to take you to a a different website. I think the key here is to be suspicious. Don't be afraid to contact somebody you know at a company if you want to check that the email you've received is genuine or the phone call that you've received is genuine. And the golden rule to remember is that the bank will never ask you to give out your information and they will never ask you to move your money to a different account or anything like that. Yeah. Are there any other types of cybercrime that you think people should be aware of? 
There's lots of different types of cybercrime, but another common one that's worth mentioning is where an email that's sent to you containing bank details gets intercepted at the supplier's end rather than at your end, Mm -hmm. and the bank details on it are changed. So you get an email that you think is um, genuine, an email that you were expecting to get with the details of where you have to send some money, and you send that money, but you're paying the criminals. And there are stories of this happening when a farmer has bought some machinery and the email coming from the dealership or the finance company has been intercepted and the bank details have been changed so that his deposit has gone awry. There have also been cases where a farmer's had an email from his builder which says, just to let you know our bank details have changed, can you send the payment to this account instead? There's lots of different scenarios where you might be paying something based on bank details in an email and I would strongly urge anybody to always double check and get verification of those bank details. Nobody is going to worry if you phone them up to say, can I just double check Mm -hmm. the bank details before I send this payment? So I would always get a verification, not by email, before making any um, significant payment to a new set of bank details. Yeah. And should people be wary then and concerned about how they're accessing the internet? In some circumstances, yes. So if you're accessing the internet at home on your own broadband uh, or you're accessing it through the 4G on your phone, you will be relatively secure. What is a greater concern is where you are accessing the internet outside of either your own broadband or your own 4G. So that would be things like free Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. Because with a free Wi-Fi, it is possible for somebody else to hack into that Wi-Fi and to be gathering information and that you're oblivious to it. Either they're hacking into the genuine Wi-Fi or it might be that what looks like the free Wi-Fi for a particular coffee shop or library actually turns out to be a criminal who has set up a Wi-Fi connection to appear like your favourite coffee shop or library. When using free Wi-Fi, I wouldn't do anything on free Wi-Fi that involves putting your password into anything. I wouldn't do internet banking. Um, I would be very wary of what you do on on free Wi-Fi. What is worth saying, though, is that data plans for phones and tablets nowadays are relatively inexpensive. And I don't think there's really a need to use free Wi-Fi. Perhaps you do need to go somewhere else to do your internet banking because your internet at home isn't great. But a 4G plan on your phone will be relatively inexpensive and will be far more secure than relying on the Wi-Fi at you know the library or in a public place. Yeah. We had a look recently, actually, and there are mobile phone providers now who will provide unlimited internet access through 4G for less than £30 a month. I think that potentially that has scope to become a really valuable source of internet in places that don't have great broadband signals. If you've got a decent 4G signal on your phone, you can often get good, uh, secure internet. So there seems to be a lot of different ways that cyber criminals can try and access your information. But there also seems to be a lot of things that people can do to counter that and protect themselves against cyber criminals and increase their own cyber security and, he- and help them stay safe online. So what, what can you recommend then that a person listening or a farmer goes and does right after this podcast? So it, it's, as Alex said earlier, it's lots of small, simple things that you do. So have a look at the passwords that you're using and make sure you've got a unique password for each site that you're using. 
if you have any doubts about being able to remember the passwords, if you've got lots of different sites that would need passwords, then consider using a password manager. Look at how you could use two-factor authentication. So any of the sites that you use, whether it's accounting systems, Facebook, things like that, you can set up two-factor authentication for any of those sites. Consider how you're accessing the internet, and if you do currently use either internet banking or anywhere that you put passwords when you're out and about using free Wi-Fi, stop and become very suspicious of phone calls and emails asking you for information. If in doubt at all about any phone call or email that's asking you for information or asking you to move money or asking you to put your bank details into something, stop. Phone somebody at the company or the supplier that you know, verify that it's authentic and if in doubt, don't do it. I think as well, just to kind of reiterate something that that Chloe said earlier, this is potentially important information that that we're dealing with. And I I think it's important that people really take time when they're working online. A a hacker will almost hope that that you're in a rush. He'll he'll hope that you're complacent with this kind of stuff. Um, And if you really just take your time, settle down and, and really pay attention to what you're doing, you can uh, you can avoid some of the, the, the common trips and stumbles that, that you might come across. Where could someone go for more information on these topics? We've got some information on the Farm Advisory Service website. Uh, you can also go to the National Cyber Security Centre. That's the national resource on where the information that we base these events on came yeah. from. www.cyberaware.gov.uk or www.ncsc.gov.uk It's great. Thanks for joining us, Chloe. Thanks for joining us, Alex. And thank you for listening.